Mickey reminded me it's, it would be good to show up for practice on Wednesday night. <laughs> Believe me, I knew it too. <laughs> Thank you for that, choir. Appreciate it. Our text today will be in Acts chapter 10. It's a place we've been often before, but I'm, it'll take a little while to get to it this morning. You know, as we think about uh, Veterans Day and we saw these veterans standing here before us today, uh, I think probably, I'm, I'm guessing I'm, I'm guessing I'm right, I didn't ask any of them anything, but uh, my guess is that all of us that served in the services uh, uh, experienced change in our life. There was a change that came to us by being a part of the military, uh, no matter what place we served, no matter what kind of job we had, uh, the time spent away from home, the time uh, with other people, uh, uh, the experiences of danger or darkness or confusion that might have been in these times uh, were times that resulted in some kind of change in our life. Uh, And I'm not going to bore you with the changes that I had in my life, but Well, actually, I have bored you through the years about that, so I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But I thought about, uh, in the Bible, uh, soldiers in the Bible, and uh, particularly in the New Testament, those that had to do with Jesus and those that uh, had to do with the early church. And I thought again of the centurion. The centurions are some of my favorite characters uh, in, in the Bible. As I look at the different centurions that are mentioned, uh, centurion, uh, we remind ourselves, was over 100 foot soldiers. That was the job, 100 centurion, century. Uh, and they were in a cohort and legions and so forth. And uh, uh, the centurion was subject to the legion tribune. But what was uh, the actual working of the officers, the centurions were really the backbone of the Roman army. They were the, the top sergeants, you might say, uh, that occurred. Uh, everybody liked to tell us how, much, how, how important the top sergeants were. For those of us who were just, you know, peons, we just, I guess, accepted, accepted it as a fact, you know, and, and got used to it. One of the old historians wrote this, Centurions are not required to be bold and adventurous so much as good leaders of steady and prudent minds not prone to take offensive or start fight wantonly, but able when overwhelmed overwhelmed, to stand fast and to die at their post. Uh, So these were career men, typically in the Roman army. Uh, They, uh, um, and the Roman army was at that time the best army that had ever been developed, and so they were really the backbone of the best army. Uh, It was the highest rank of an ordinary soldier, so this would be, for anyone who could get in and stay at it, this would be a, a goal that they might achieve, would become a centurion. Uh, they often, they often uh, uh, were able to climb in their rank by being transferred from one place to the other. And the Roman Empire was, very, was vast, and so they could wind up in all kinds of places. Uh, being a centurion doesn't mean they have any particular race. They, they came from wherever the Roman army uh, was able to establish Roman citizenship and so forth. These, these people were from everywhere from North Africa to uh, Britain to east into Turkey and, and uh, all points around wherever the Roman uh, rule had, had taken place. They were responsible for, for discipline, uh, 
for supervising the scourging that took place. And so the whippings and even the crucifixions would be under their uh, uh, role. They were there for drills, arms inspections, um, command in the field, assigned details to men, delegated. Uh, They were paid well, but sometimes uh, uh, they needed something to kind of supplement their work. Uh, They were uh, usually detached uh, in, in special places at times, but unusual places. So you'll see in the story of Jesus, some of these centurions will pop up in circumstances you wouldn't necessarily think of them being. Um, uh, they required, uh, when they signed on, a, a 20-year tour. So it was a, it was a, a long uh, time of duty. Uh, they stayed often later even to achieve higher ranks. Uh, and then after discharge, they returned to private life. Uh, the New Testament refers to centurions more than any other office. Uh, any other Roman office. Uh, and there is, a, there is, I think, in the New Testament, a sense of respect for the centurions. Uh, maybe not as everyone I'm individually, but for the role of centurions. It's often lifted up and shown. Uh, Jesus met a centurion. You can read about it in Luke chapter 7. Um, he uh, uh, was wealthy. He loved the Jewish people. He was what we would, what you might call in those days, a leaner toward the Jewish religion, which would uh, uh, the Jewish religion was attractive to many people. Uh, they saw the order about it. They saw the commandments. They saw the the holiness and the purity that was required. They saw the discipline it took to kind of live that kind of life. And so many of these centurions were drawn uh, to the Jewish, uh, toward the Jewish faith. And uh, he even helped uh, this one in Luke seven helped build a, a synagogue. Uh, he had many soldiers under him, but he himself humbled himself to Jesus. That's the point of that story uh, on behalf of his servants, uh, for his servants' health's sake. Um, he said he was not worthy for Jesus even to come under his roof, which for a Roman was a pretty spectacular statement. And so um, we know uh, also there was a centurion in charge of the crucifixion. That was his role you see that in Mark chapter 15 and Matthew 27. He is the first uh, Gentile to uh, make a Christian witness. Um, he is the one that stood there when Jesus drew his last breath, everyone else speechless, and he said, surely this man is the Son of God. He's my favorite centurion. I think he's the one that, in my mind, uh, portends the future of mankind, the statement of faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Uh, uh, Paul was delivered uh, to a centurion in his travels uh, for safe conduct to Rome. Actually, Paul was uh, placed under this uh, centurion. He was actually saved by a centurion from a mob. Uh, Paul was at a point where he was... uh, uh, so challenging to the Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish rulers and so forth that in Jerusalem he was uh, soon he was just about arrested by the Jewish authorities and to be put to death they had already decided they would kill him, and it was a centurion that grabbed him out of the situation and uh, took him under house uh, took him under arrest under Roman arrest, which uh, 
Paul, being a Roman citizen, was able to use that in his life. Uh, he had years extended to his life by being able to claim his Roman citizenship. And so uh, he was uh, headed for trial back to Rome, and it took some time for him to get back to Rome. But it was under uh, Centurion's uh, watch care. He was uh, placed on a ship even uh, under a man named Julius, a centurion named Julius. And um, uh, if you remember the story of Paul, that ship, uh, those ships that he was on uh, would face awful storms. And one storm in particular, it looked like the whole ship was going down, everybody in it, the, the soldiers, the prisoners, and uh, the centurion along with Paul. And Paul uh, instructed them, uh, under the inspiration of God, instructed them on how to survive, to lash themselves to the boat, how to survive uh, that awful storm. And so in a real sense, Paul was instrumental in saving this centurion's life as well. So you see how that works. And so Paul got close to these people. He was, he was literally tied to them many times. He would be, uh, there would be a, a leash between he and the centurion. And or he would be under house arrest with centurions. And so uh, Paul, and when he was under arrest, was, was unusual. He would count it all joy sometimes for the circumstances that he was in because he had a captive audience. He was the captive, but those with him were captives, a captive audience to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was his goal, was to share the gospel whatever circumstance he was under. So uh, praise the Lord for that. You know, we see these children, the Baptist Children's Home, and the ministry they do. Uh, you saw those two children there. Uh, I happened to also see the testimony of those children as they uh, uh, were uh, literally ran from home to save their own lives. The older brother took the sister and, and ran to a policeman who promised them that he, they, they would be all right. And from there, they were, uh, the parents were arrested even. Uh, they were denied their rights as parents. These children uh, went to the children's home. And their story is chilling. Of this little girl and this little boy. This little boy having to be the adult, really. To keep them on course. And to see a life saved. To see lives saved. How important that is. So whatever the circumstances, there's a place there for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be inserted. We think of the, the centurion. We talked about him not too long ago. Of Cornelius. He was a devout soldier. And really Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter 10 uh, was there. He was the one you might call the great turning point in history. Um, other than the conversion of Paul himself as the great missionary. This conversion of Cornelius meant more to the kingdom's work around the world than any other two people, these two. Cornelius was a Gentile, of course, a Roman uh, uh, governor of the, of the headquarters there in Palestine, at Caesarea. He was a God-fearer. He was one of these leaners. He... Uh, uh, Lean toward Judaism, everything but circumcision. He attended the synagogues. He was a seeker. He was charitable. He was kind. You know, a person is searching for God. They start looking at their fellow man differently, with more compassion. And this man had compassion, even before he came to Christ. 
He was looking at others. He was looking at these Jews with entirely different eyes than did the other Roman uh, soldiers, most of the Roman soldiers he was with. He was a man of prayer. He prayed. He, uh, he lived up to the light that he had from God, and he was praying. He had drawn close to God. He had this vision of, the, uh, of an angel who had uh, uh, talked to him about, and, and I'll shorten the, shorten the story, but talked to him about this, this person who was staying um, in Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house. That was Peter. And he sent two slaves and a soldier to Peter. Meanwhile, Peter's praying at Simon's house and having a vision that complemented the vision that Cornelius was having about the work of God in the life of Gentiles. Nobody had ever really witnessed to a Gentile as far as the Christian church was concerned. And so this came along, and he met with Cornelius. And when he heard Cornelius' testimony, Peter, Cornelius would, would bound to expect that he would be rejected. He knew that he couldn't get but so close to these people. And so when he told uh, Peter his story, instead of being rejected, uh, Peter embraced him, and Peter accepted him. You know, it means a lot to people when you, when you meet them. When you meet them where they are, they may not be Christians. They may be a stranger totally. They may be entirely different from us, as Cornelius most likely was. But when you meet them and extend the hand to them, it means something. That's the spirit of Christ. That's not something that can just be taught. That's something we have to live. We have to experience it. And so Peter, when he got into this home... He just came right on in, and the barriers began to fall. The Christian church broke down barriers in that world. Anything that you think divides you from others is a barrier to you between you and the kingdom of God. It might be politics. It might be race. It might be the economic Positions of peoples, you and others, lower or higher. There's all kind of barriers. But when, Christ, but when Christians reach across barriers, there's something going to change. Something was about to change in the world when, with Cornelius. And so uh, as Peter, uh, as Cornelius then gathered others to himself... To come and hear Peter, Peter began to preach the gospel. 34 through 43, we read in Acts 10. Let me get myself over to my text here. Acts 10, 34 through 43. Then Peter began to speak. And I now realize, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Peter had been like just about everybody else. He, he would... He was beholden to the prejudices that he held in his heart until God visited him and spoke a word to his heart. You know, when God, when God speaks to your heart, there's something going to change if you'll let it. And he said, now I realize God does not show any favoritism. He's not, he doesn't show any particularism about people. But he accepts men, he says, from every nation who fear him and do what is right. 
You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all? You know what happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. These people were aware of the story of Jesus. They were living in Galilee. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses from God who had already been chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. That's what many of you were studying in your Sunday school lessons today, the Great Commission. Verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And so Peter preached the gospel there in that setting with Gentiles. Cornelius, his family, other Gentiles were there in the room, soldiers and friends. He talked about Jesus being sent by God. Jesus equipped with the Holy Spirit and with power. The very face of the loving Heavenly Father. Healer. Jesus was a healer. He banished pain and sorrow in people's lives. He was crucified. And Cornelius himself knew what that meant. And these soldiers. That's what they were doing there in Galilee. Galilee was a very rebellious territory. And their work was, was resting and in many cases crucifying. He said, but you know what? When Christ was crucified, he rose again from the dead. The worst possible that could happen had no power over Jesus, he said. Jesus is alive. Not just a historical person. He is living, Paul, Peter said. And the result is the forgiveness of sin and a new relationship with God. A friendship between God and man, not simply Israel. Paul later took that up and he said, It is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. This salvation can come. Do you know somebody? You know somebody? Well, the gospel is for them. To show them how to make peace with God. And how to begin to serve God. And be a part of His family. Amen? Change. Things change. There should be change in our life no matter. I've talked about military but many of you have had change in your own life from different experiences in your life. It might be through your work, through your family, through your church. It might be some other experience. It might have been a personal sickness or family sickness or death or loss. Change is inevitable, isn't it? We've got to be ready to adapt and to adjust 
and continue to make our way. That's one thing about Grief Share. I'll have to give them credit uh, for the work that goes on in those Grief Share meetings. That I was able to sit through some. is just the ability to adapt to loss and those kind of things. Change is inevitable. And yet it's the one thing we don't much care for. I've, I've caught myself in a whole lot of changes in life fighting against it. You might have even cried against it. Trying not to take that step. Trying not to go there. And yet change is coming. The Jews were not happy. The Jewish Christians were not happy to hear that Gentiles could just go straight into the kingdom of God. They wanted them to go through Judaism first. It was a hard, hard pill to swallow. It was one basically Paul had to deal with in every church that he was involved with, is the acceptance of Gentiles. But in fact, God's plan was to carry this forth all over the world. And it, it required change in every place it went. The Roman world, change came real hard. There was martyrs' deaths. There was all kinds of issues in families when one would become a Christian. But it was just a continual walking forward of the work of God through life. I know I've shared this, a couple of stories about Henry Ford, but, you know, he was an amazing man. He was a great creative genius in establishing the Model T and getting it to be the popular vehicle that it became. I mean, it was the common man's vehicle. If a common man could scrape up a few hundred dollars, it is. <laughs> my grandpa, my great-grandfather had one, and people didn't much have one back in those days. And, and he would get it, and he would start out to Spartanburg, which is about a seven, eight-mile trip from where we lived. And, and on the way, he would pick up people to ride with him. And uh, he wasn't just being nice. He was getting some people that when he came to big hills, it would help push it up the hill. That's what was going on. <laughs> But the Model T, of course, continued to develop, became a very strong vehicle. But there was a man, even in 1912, who became convinced that the Model T needed to be updated. And uh, he came up with all kinds of changes, and I won't go into all the changes anyway, but uh, Henry Ford was out of, out of the country or something, and he came back, and here set this new-looking model vehicle. Henry Ford went over to it, and he took the door, and he just broke it off the off of the machine. He went over to the other door, broke it off, tore the, tore the uh, canopy over the top, uh, cut the seat, seats up. He said, there'll never be any change in the Model T. And for years, it went that way. Even with his own son, he got into many fusses. He didn't want to give up. He had something good. He didn't want to give it up. The time came when he, even reluctantly, he never had his heart in the change what was it, the Model A came along uh, after that. So, you know, change can be hard. And uh, the older we get, and I'm, I've got my Medicare card now. Is that what I've got? <laughs> so now I can talk like an old guy. We just don't want things to change much. We like it kind of. We can get that way. You can get comfortable in it. And so, but changes are going to occur. It's occurring all around us. We've done some change in here. 
And I think at every point where we've allowed for change, when we've given God his place as providential God to take us into new places, he's made something good out of it. He's extended our heart. He's given us a bigger heart, you know. And that's really what it is to be a church. Our growing in Christ should give us bigger hearts. We should be able to extend our tent to others, all kinds. The world around us is changing. There's all kinds of different people now among us than we've ever had. And we can, we can hold back and try to resist that. But I can tell you this. I've been around long enough to see this. That churches that will do that will die. Now everything dies sometime maybe. But we want our church to be able to live for generations. Amen? We don't want it just to be for this day and time. We want it to keep going forward. And so it is with the gospel of Jesus Christ that is really the one thing that we carry forward uh, uh, ourselves. Peter was a bridge himself. He bridged, he became a bridge to others. And I think in the best sense of the term, the church is a bridge. It's a bridge that's built out to other people. It's a bridge to the Lord. It's a bridge not for us necessarily. It's a bridge for those who can come across. And we are, we are seeking to reach new generations and and. May God help us to do that. So thank everybody that's involved in it, you know, as we go forward. I don't really hardly know how to close the message. We'll sing a hymn here in a moment, a hymn of invitation. But included in this message was God's plan of salvation to you. If you haven't received him and his grace into your heart, I'm telling you the way is open. I think uh, there's room in all of our lives to, to commit ourselves to whatever changes God deems necessary. And we don't want to be an impediment to it. We want to be a bridge for it. If God's in it, we want it to be. Amen? Amen. Maybe there's some here who you've been coming and you feel like this is a place for you to be a part of the church family. Uh, the mission of this church is what you seem to think it would fit where you're at in your life and God's leading you that way. You've prayed about it. Uh, maybe you live near here, uh, and this is a church in your community. Uh, whatever the case, if you've looked at what God is doing in this church and you really sense the leadership of God to become part of this church family, then, then we encourage you to come today. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you now as we uh, bow before you. Um, here the day after Veterans Day, and we, we ponder, Lord... Uh, uh, the great changes in people's lives that no doubt occurs. Any veteran can talk about their change. But Lord, we also thank you for Jesus Christ who never changes. We are in a sea of change. Every one of our lives and our families, everywhere we turn, we and everything around us is, is changing. But there is one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Consistent. Offering his love 
and his forgiveness and his presence. And today, Lord, we just lift a prayer of thanksgiving to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this hymn together. Hymn number 317. It's a matter of faith and trust. Let's sing together. And God lead you as as, uh, his Holy Spirit will today. Sing it. 